0: You are listening to Read It, Roll It, Hole It. He's two putts from victory.
1: Only needs one. Welcome golfers to the eighth episode of the Read It, Roll It, Hole It podcast. I'm very fortunate to have special guest Mark Bull on the call today. Uh, Mark is one of my mentors and one of the great guys um, who's out there in the world. So hopefully you enjoy the podcast. Mark is um, you know, really inspirational in what he does and what he knows about the body um what he doesn't know about the body you don't need to know so uh, hopefully enjoy it and read it roll it hold it okay so i'd like to welcome uh, mark bull to the read it roll it hold it podcast uh, welcome mark thanks Holly. i mean, great
0: to be here always great to catch up with you so you know, thank you very much for the invitation to come on and kind of speak and share with you so always a, always a pleasure
1: fantastic thank you yeah you know we've uh, we've worked together or we've had you up at the golf club a few times and and um it's been great learning from you and i, I actually uh you know you're one of my mentors so um i'm very much looking forward to this conversation
0: well you're very kind Noddy. i mean certainly the, the times i spent with yourself and tim at ross and why just been a, again a, a, an equal delight so it's very kind of it's reciprocal that kind of uh, feedback so you're most welcome
1: Thank you, thank you. How's, um, how's lockdown been for you, Mark? What's it like over the States at the moment? Um, I guess there's I mean, lockdown's really, it's how
0: you want to see it and how you want to view it, it really, as a lockdown. I mean, for sure, you can be inactive in actual working, but you can still be very active in kind of how you expand and evolve yourself as a human. So I think, um, I think I'd be more active um, through the constraints placed upon us. The last kind of four or five weeks through, Again, just having time that you don't normally have to kind of look at things different, review things, um, trying to figure out what next, um, you know, put some new kind of systems in place and some new programs in place. So, uh, as best we can and as best I can, I've tried to kind of use that time just to kind of, you know, some introspection to kind of look, um, but very much kind of, I actually don't try and look back too much. For me, it's always around kind of what next, what now, how can we improve that stuff? So I tried to use the time as best I can. I set up an online academy, which I've been trying to do for some time. So that's been a really uh, um, kind of nice use of that time. And uh, things have actually just started to reopen. I'm actually currently in Florida as we speak today. Um, things have just started to open up again in Florida now. But there's no great change in people's behaviors as yet, despite being able to, you know, get out and play and what have you. So we'll hope for that improves soon. So. Yeah, I mean, I've, tr- I've just tried to, you know, embrace it and uh, see it for what it really is. It's a chance to kind of learn and do different things. So, at least I hope I've done some of that.
1: Fantastic. And uh, you said you've got a, uh, your first lesson back for a few weeks uh, in, a, in, a, in a while. So, uh, you're looking for First session.
0: To... Yeah, the first session, I'm very fortunate to <laughs> be based with the, um, the Sean Foley at Sean's Academy. You know, Sean has been off the scale kind and generous to me for many years. So, it's actually Sean is the reason my wife, daughter, and I are in the U.S. You know, you very kindly invited us out to, to come and base ourselves here. So it's my first session at the Academy. I've done a few at different clubs the last kind of four or five weeks. Um, so it's great being back here. I mean, the Academy is such a cool place in Orlando. So for those that haven't visited, I mean, huge recommendation to you know, come down and see what Sean's put in place here. It's just spectacular. So it's yeah, so the first one back at the Academy today. So my first day back at school after kind of some holidays. So the new kid so- again in some ways
1: exciting exciting day ahead well i uh, look forward to hearing yeah. how it goes so uh that's uh, that's cool okay so the first question i've got here for you mark is um may i ask what do you consider to be your greatest strength and how do you develop it or how uh,
0: well, i guess that's for the the player to decide not me i think the players decide what my um the, the areas i'm okay at, i guess that will always be defined by the individual. so um, to, to that's a kind of an embarrassing question to try and answer, I guess, but um, to, to try and be as kind of humble as I can. I mean, some players may just like the, 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 the delivery of the information. Some players might like uh, how much information is delivered or to what scale we deliver it at. Some guys may enjoy, say, the, the, the intellect of discussion, perhaps. Um, so I guess, in essence, who or what decides my kind of uh, my the areas my okay I will always be defined by say even you Ollie that you know when you and I have done bits of players in the past and when it's been you Tim and myself at, at Tim's school um it's for you to really decide that define that not me um I, I'm very big on this in life but and I think anything you do well no one ever taught you I think all the things that you are um inherently um good at as a whatever it might be as a consultant, as a mover, as a, as a human, whatever it might be. I think they are, no one's ever taught you to be that way. Um, I don't really reflect too much on what I do. Um, um, I kind of look in the mirror a lot and think, okay, I kind of need to get better at these areas. I'm very big into the, the idea of the man in the mirror, that kind of philosophy. I'm not really that aware If I was being really honest of what I'm good at, assuming I'm good at something, because I think that's always for the player and the coach to decide that. So that's maybe a question that perhaps I should be asking you rather than in a, in a cool way, rather than vice versa.
1: I, I would definitely um, say, for, um, you know, if you're asking me that question, that one of your biggest strengths I see is your, your, the way you communicate with the golfer and your choice of words. Can you expand on that why you know where where does where does your you know your uh, dictionary or whatever come from you know how how have you worked and evolved that area of your coaching over the years
0: yeah you know, that's a good i think um, in essence the words we use create the issues that we we experience in life i mean it's for me in many ways is how do you speak by saying nothing but that's the approach that i try and take so linguistics are one format of communication so the words we use and how we use them or when we use them, but you kind of look at that in many ways that, you know, words need much interpretation. So is the, is how do you kind of speak in such a clean language or use very, very, um, everything will need to be defined and everything will need to be uh, interpreted. But how do you kind of use words that need no, they're not ambiguous. They don't need definition. Um, you, you make them as clean as you possibly can be as far as the discussion goes. Because in essence, the words that we use reflect our belief system. So when you actually listen to the language of people, even in like discussion or talking to their mates or you know, delivering a session or whatever it might be, uh, the words that we use, if you listen very carefully to what people say, it really, really reveals their deep belief systems. So um, there'd, be, there'd be reoccurring words that people use. There'd be sequences to how people speak. Um, there'd be words they avoid using. So essentially, kind of humans talk in code. They communicate in code. They say that, but they're really kind of meaning this. So really one thing, um, I guess it all goes back to me as a 10 year I guess, that um, I've always listened to people. At least I've tried to really listen to exactly what people are saying and how they say it. Um, so even I, you can tell so much about a person in a session in the first 60 seconds. For me, that reveals so much. Um, what they say, when they say it, how they say it how to respond to your question. Um, so I think a lot of people will listen to what people say, but they don't really hear what they say. So that would be my kind of feedback. You know, really uh, intently hear to exactly what people will say. And I, music's one of my big life, uh, big loves in my folly. And uh, for those that know the band Depeche Mode, I'm showing sure i the age now, they had a very famous song called Enjoy the Silence. And there's a very, very well-known lyric in there. It goes, um, words are very unnecessary, that all they do is create harm. So I kind of think, well, depression mode are right in some ways that all words do create harm in life because they need interpretation. There's, there's, the um, minute you use a word, it will create a, a memory or create a, an emotional response with someone. So I'm very big around that. How do you speak very cleanly? So there's no minimal interpretation needed, not ambiguous, um, emotive, but in a good way. And uh, and uh, and equally so, people don't listen. They ask questions. This is kind of where a lot of golf is that currently, you know, information and questions. For me, it's more about know-how and listening. Listen to what the person says, how are we going to use the information we have? I mean, but it's been a big thing within coach education in recent years. You need to ask lots of questions. Well, you do, but equally, so you actually need to listen and more importantly, act on what people say back to you. And I think that's the, the missing bit currently, that people just don't listen anymore.
1: With um, what you, you said to the, since a ten-year-old, you've been good at listening. Was there something in your life that happened then, or, or did you read a book, or what sort of clicked that uh, that sort of part of your brain to get listening? I mean, you
0: look at belief systems and I mentioned that a minute ago, and uh, obviously my background is sports science, so I don't know nothing about um, you know cognition and you know you know cognitive behaviour therapy, that kind of stuff. But you look at you look at um, belief systems. We essentially we inherit our beliefs through what we're exposed to from a young age. So a lot of my beliefs came from my parents. I, I, had a, I have an older brother, very dominant older brother as a kid. He'd been very successful in life and my brother has a very dominant personality. So a lot of my um, my childhood experiences were really had of avoid being you know, um, my older brother really. Um, so you kind of go into that survival mode that anyone who has an older kind of dominant sibling can probably relate to that. So much of my kind of daily life was a as a young kid, was kind of avoiding my brother for many reasons. He was just bigger and faster and, and horrible <laughs> in, in a fun way. I mean that in a fun way. Mm-hmm. Um, so you learn to kind of think very quickly to avoid getting punched by your older brother. Really, when you're ten, which is kind of mm-hmm. I think every sibling can relate to that. So much of um, my brother was um, or oh, is in a real high intellect. Um, very, you know, real, I'm not going to use the word genius, because that's a ridiculous word to use for most people in life, but real, wonderful intellect, almost too clever for score in some ways. So it really made me kind of, I had to really adapt my personality as a, as a young guy. How do I survive being around my brother daily? So, again, inadvertently, it's only known me now, and I reflect back as a, as a parent myself, that um, how influential my brother was on me, in those early 20 years of my life, not in a good way, but in the next 25 years, I hope, and for the next 50 years, I hope, in a very, very good way, that much of my approach to life and how I consult with people now, how I work, came from how to survive being around a very dominant older brother as a kid. So that had a big influence on me, that. And um, so whatever you wish to call it, um, a way of life, survival, I want to use the word skill, which I don't like the word skill, but we we'll call it skill just for discussion today to keep it clean for your viewers. Um, a lot of the skills that I, I, I think I've acquired came from survival as a child, really.
1: The, um, my, my sort of next question there was to, to ask you where your sort of drive and passion came from. And you may well have just answered that um, because it always amazed me, what, you know, I've known you for seven years now and, you know, you've created your own device to, to coach and, and to, to measure how golfers move uh, and it always fascinated me that you know you didn't buy someone else's system you went like up and beyond to create your own system like there's some sort of inner drive or that passion is unbelievable for me is that is that true where it came from
0: well it's very kind of you to say that Ali I mean yeah if I kind of think very quickly now and I've thought about this actually in recent years because again I have a daughter now who's approaching two um, so I think anyone as a parent very quickly sees the world very differently, as you would know from obviously your experiences as a parent as well. And um, as a child, I was known as Stephen's brother. That's how I was referred as. I wasn't known as Mark. It was um, I was Stephen's brother because he was this Even when I went to school, he was four years older. He is four years older than me. Um, uh, very clever, you know. Known, you know, one of these just every every school has one, just off the scale intellect. But it also was. Um, problematic for him because he was bored and he wasn't disruptive as a kid. He was like most teenage boys. I mean, they're all disruptive and, and that's just what teenage boys do, but with intellect. So even in social environments, I was known as Stephen's younger brother. So I actually look back on it now without going into too much, kind of the boy listeners too much. I think for, for me, in my case, it was actually to be heard. How do I get heard? Cause no one ever listened to me. Um, Cause it was always my, my brother's dominance. Um, so much of what I've been very fortunate and, you know, very blessed to be able to do in long may continue now. I mean, in my professional career, the last 25 years, as it will, will have been now, um, would have come from, how do I get heard? So um, it's not an ego thing in any way. I, mean, I like to think my ego is, is really small and very certainly very intrinsic. My ego is not an, not an extrinsic one that I have. It um, was around, how do I get noticed, like any 12-year-old, boy or girl i guess would experience in that environment so yeah my, my kind of upbringing my background very influential on in i do what i do but it's only in recent years have i been aware of that if you asked me this five years ago i'd probably give you a very very different answer there'd be more around i don't know what it would be now because of where i'm at in life so yeah it'd be a big, very different answer now um
1: and definitely not boring at all so uh, that's that's great so mark you um you sort of uh, moved to the states in january um you know, you you moved to the other side of the world, not quite the other side of the world, but long way away from home with your family. What, uh, obviously, apart from coronavirus, what hurdles have you uh, had to sort of overcome since moving, you know, your wife and your, your young daughter over?
0: I um, mean, yeah, I'm actually still kind of equally based between the UK and the US. So, um, you okay. know, yeah, so I'm kind of, our intention, obviously, in advance of obviously the current situation, which you hope improves for everyone very soon, was to kind of spend four weeks in the US, a week in the UK. That was our kind of proposed plan. Less so my wife and daughter, but more so for me, because um, I love being back home still. So, but equally so, I love the US. I, I kind of, I it's almost like I'm stuck between two loves: the UK and the US. Um, one of the big issues, which I found so far in the US, is although it's the same words they use, it's a very different language. Go back to words again. So. I mean, we both use the English language, but it's used very differently. Um, so I've had to really look at how I uh, deliver sessions in the States compared to, to the UK very, very differently over here, but in a good way. So it's really helped me evolve as a consultant. At least I hope so. Um, the expectations of sessions in the States are so different. Um, the demands of people are very different over here. Um, the perception of a session in the States is very different. And what they perceive to expect to get from the session is very different. Again, none of this in a bad way. It's just different. It's just different. Um, What they perceive in the the States as being good um, is a very, very different, say, approach to what we would have back home. Um, So literally day one for me was like, I've just gone to, it, it may well have just been in a different language. It was, And it took me, and it's, it, I should say it's taken me, not took me, it's still taking me huge amounts of time to, to, to really adapt to working in the U.S. I mean, um, I've met some wonderful people. Um, obviously, you, you know, Sean has been just off the scale, good to me, and I can't ever start to thank Sean enough for what he's done and what I hope he continues to do. Kevin Kirk, you know, Kevin's a very dear friend of mine, which I think I may have introduced you to Kevin in the past. Um, I met people like Ted Scott. Um, Ted has just been uh, a PJ tour caddy I mean unbelievably kind and generous to me Um, and I can mention multiple other people um, which I knew in advance coming to the US so apologies to those guys that I haven't mentioned but there's there's just a few people I've met since being here Um, but so different um, the expectation, the perception the way information is delivered Um, I'll give an example in the US everything is referenced against Instagram (laughs) so every session I now give Someone to say, but on Instagram, someone says this. And I'm like, well, if you want their response, go and ask them. What? Not in a, in a rude way. I don't mean it like that. So please, I hope it hasn't come across that way. That if you want the Instagram view, go ask Instagram. Why are you asking me? Um, ironically, I was driving up this morning to the academy when someone sent me a message. Um, what's your thoughts on this device I've just seen on Instagram? Well, we're great. Love, asked them. I don't know. Um, <laughs> So it's almost like I have to defend now. It's, it's, it's a very defensive um, type of session I've, I've been aware of. Um, I've been given the last few weeks in the US, a few months, I should say now, because um, the minute you give any information, again, this is not a bad thing, Ollie. It's just the way it is in a good way. I, and I, In some ways, it's helped me really evolve, I hope, as a, as a consultant again. Um, but so-and-so said that on Instagram, and, but this player does this. Well, if I haven't worked with that player, um, I got asked to comment on a guy the other day. It was it was it the, um, the, the DJ, Rory, Matt Wolfe, and Ricky Fowler match? <clears throat> and he asked me about that player, said, this was on an online, on Instagram. What do you think of that? I said, well, I've never worked with a player, so I can't comment on someone I've not worked with, and equally so, I would never comment publicly on a player I've had the pleasure of working with. That's just not my approach. Um, and they got really offended by that, that I wouldn't answer their question. <laughs> I was like, well, I, I don't know the guy. I mean, you asked me to to make a call on what he's doing in his goals. I've never met him. I don't know what he does. And uh, I'd like to think one day I'd be fortunate too. But equally so, uh, if I've had the privilege of me working with a player, it doesn't matter who the player is, I'd never share that publicly because that's a private discussion between the coach, player and I. It's no different to say, Ash, than, um, Ross, am why with you and Tim? That's for Ash to um, reveal, not me. And they got really offended by that because um, they the, the expectation is put out there hmm. so that, um, that's that's created a lot of conflict for me at the moment um, and um, and I won't do that I won't do that for me I keep things private that's just me as a human again and uh, so really that I mean everything I do is it reference against Instagram now It's almost like I have to defend myself against the, the perceived um, reference of Instagram
1: hmm. that's interesting which I, which, I,
0: which I rarely get back home rarely get yeah um, no. And, um, or this, this guy on Instagram says you should move that way. Well, with great love and respect, why are you asking me then? Why, why have you paid to come and see me if you want me to either validate someone else's approach or be referenced against their approach?
1: Hmm.
0: So, very, yeah. but then equally so, there's things about the US I absolutely love. And it frustrates enormously then why the UK haven't done this. So, um, there's, there's more stuff about the, the, the guys that have been around the US, which I absolutely adore and love with a passion. Um, which I wish the UK would embrace, but that's a whole different discussion.
1: Mark, you just um, sparked a question in my mind, um, talking about Instagram and um, obviously the last 10 years, humans have been on phones a lot more and the last 20 years, computers. Over your 25 years of experience, um, what have you seen, um, or should I say, how have you seen humans' posture evolve? over those last 25 years? Have you noticed the trend of people getting in, um, you know, not standing as well?
0: Yeah, I, mean, I think the honest answer is, Ollie, that they're actually devolving, not uh, evolving. So we're going through devolution now with the human frame. So I think, you know, our postures are probably best in about the kind of 1920s. I think ever since then, we start to get slowly worse. So I think the last 100 years, we've gone through a phase of devolution now. Um, as you so rightly say, I mean, devices, I mean, we when those very fetal, very rounded, very compressed, um, postures now, kind of heads forward, spines rounded, ribcage compressed, pelvises adapted, feet have got so poor because of the, um, shoe design. Um, so massively. So, I mean, you look at the, say, the frame of someone, um, in the 1920s, wonderful, wonderful frames because of what they did do. Um, our frames are so bad now because of what we don't do and equally so what we do do. So that's the kind of basis in many ways. You become what you do, you become what you don't do. Um, so I think a hundred years back, we were kind of maybe at our most evolved anatomically from a posture discussion. Um, I, I was in India recently. I've got a great video of a lady, wonderful lady walking down the street still with shopping on her head. Hmm. This is actually in India last year The most fantastic spine. Um, and then you see people in these days. I mean, um, they don't even carry the shop into their cars anymore in, in the UK As someone from the shop that does it for us now so well, that's, there's a reason why in India they're great and there's a reason why back in the UK we're, we're very poor now I think that story says it all this lady carries food on her head and we get someone to deliver it to our front door now because we're too whatever to go and pick it up from the shop um, and I think equally so on even devices now I think things like behaviours have shifted people expect things instantaneously now um, so when you're in a session for example I mean you you say to people, well, realistically, how long do you think this should take to improve? They can't answer that question anymore, because the world they live in is click it and get it. But I think sleep has changed poorly. I think you know the influence of blue light, which is in the in the the, the electromagnetic interference that comes from devices. So you get these guys that are on phones in advance of going to bed. I think the blue light radiation we get exposed to, the the electromagnetic interference we get exposed to, is now really I don't know, a lot of health issues and sleep issues and memory issues and and, and uh, behavior changes and people. My daughter, I mean, it, it's a daily fight for my wife and I to keep away from the iPad. But you know, so during the, the COVID lockdown, I mean, it's tough, isn't it? It's tough. So I, a lot of conflict I have that, I mean, she wants it badly. It's the world she lives in. They ain't going to go away. That's just how life is at these days. But equally so, um, so we've kind of got it down to about, she probably does 25 minutes a day on the iPad, 30 minutes a day in the evening. Um, but we're trying to change her behavior slowly. But I think, like I said, Igor said, they ain't going to go away, these things. She'll be born into that, or she's born into that. So, mm-hmm. massive change in posture, massive change in behaviors, massive change in expectations. I think a real deterioration in, in sleep. I think a real deterioration in people's expectations of the time it takes now to get something. It takes a lifetime to improve how we move. It's a way of life movement. Going back to, obviously, my world of human movement, it's a way of life. Um, but people want to push a button and get it these days. So, I mean, um, a real uh, a disconnection between the reality of life now and what people expect is, uh, it's kind of, for me, it's, it's not, I don't mean this in an offensive way. So for those that are into the environment, I, I say this with sincere love. It's for me, it's as big as global warming, if not more, that the influence of these mobile devices are on human behaviours.
1: You you say that we're, um, I can't remember what the word was, opposite to evolving is devolution, devolution. Thank you. Do you think that there will be, you know, people will start to uh, appreciate and notice that soon and we'll start moving back to how we were in the 1920s? Well, we haven't yet in 100 years,
0: so I'd like to think in the last 100 years, I think it's only now. Um, but the only, the only answer I can really give you on is I hope so. I hope mm. so. But I think um, most things we're now doing in life, it's interesting, my wife's a PE teacher. Now, when I was in school, PE stood for physical education. They don't teach you PE these days, they teach you games. Um, so as I mentioned, this to my wife, I'm sure she'd be pretty sensitive if we had this discussion. But what I consider learning physical education you know, climbing, jumping, you know, throwing, um, movement, crawl, and that's PE. Um, these days they play games, like games. Okay. You'll, you'll develop, um, wonderful skills, wonderful movement skills, wonderful proprioception, wonderful awareness, wonderful cardiovascular, um, um, you know, anatomical physiological benefits. Of course you will, but it's not PE. So I think where we've lost as kids is, um, my daughter loves climbing. We, we take a climbing every day. Um, during the lockdown, I bought some some gymnastic bars, and she, she loves them, and will the made make that continue. And the only answer I can really give on is, I hope so. I really hope mm-hmm. so. Um, as, as, we, as we discussed this today, I actually don't know. I think we're getting more automated now. It's people. Um, we're doing less. I mean, even touching, you look at handwriting, there's a lot of science behind this, that if you write with a pen and paper versus typing on a keyboard, you retain a lot more Neurologically, in the brain, when you handwrite, than when you yeah. type. But people don't type that in they do voice text. Um, yeah. For my online, for my online, so there's no typing now. I mean, if, even keyboards we don't touch anymore because most things are touch pads. So even that's evolved in recent times now. Um, for my online academy, I have a Gmail account um, separate to my own uh, my own email account, and it now predicts my emails, so I now don't mm. even type anymore. So I think spelling is changing. So I think if you gave, and and again, I say this for love. So if any of the younger viewers are listening, I really do empathize greatly because it's not your fault. It's just the the world you're born into it. And I do say this in defense of everyone, not in any other way. I mean, people don't even have to spell anymore because words, predictive text does it for us. So um, I hope it improves. I can't see it improving, but I hope so
1: yeah interesting just um just going back to um you mentioned the shoes um earlier that shoes sort of make posture or don't certainly don't help posture mm-hmm. do you think um is is that because they're so forgiving that, that, that they don't have to that humans don't need to use all those um you know those um uh, parts of their body to to help with balance and stuff is that
0: i kind of say to most guys you know sometimes if there's an orthopedic condition so if someone has a an orthopedic issue, then often
1: footwear can be very helpful. So
0: I think it's not as um, it's completely wrong of me to say, you know, you know, shoes really create most issues in life. Uh, because if there's an orthopedic issue that footwear can help with, then it can be very helpful. Um, I don't know this, I can't recall the story accurately, but even going back to Elizabeth when he had his arthritis, I, I recall, if I remember this correctly, actually went back to his foot. Um, but I'm sure there's a listener of yours which knows that story better than mine that will correct me in a in, in, in good way, I hope. And so sometimes footwear can be helpful, but for most of us, I say to most guys, the better the shoe, the worse the foot. The more advanced the foot, the less developed the foot. Skin is still our best shoe. Um, Zola Bug got it right. The lady back in the 80s used to run barefoot. I mean, so I think, uh, I think the more the shoe does, which is how it's been sold in recent times, you know, more support, more comfort, the less the foot does. So some of the deep posture muscles in the feet, they're called the lungicals muscles in the feet that really give the foot its shape and it's so a little bit like say what um the deep abs are so multifidus transversus the deep abs are to the lumbar spine or say serratus anterior lower traps are to the scapula or more a lot of people know more say glute lead and glute in are to say pelvis control the lumbar are essentially that to the foot They, they just get completely redundant now when people put shoes on you want the cheapest Nasty, not nasty, you want the cheapest, most thinnest, most mobile shoes you can. So, the less the f- shoe does, the more the foot does. Mm-hmm. Hence, I kind of say, you know, the better the shoe, the worse the foot. Um, so, the idea of saying the shoe provides great support. Okay, so the foot becomes more redundant. Um, the shoe provides great support and sensitivity, but the foot then becomes desensitized. A lot of our receptors we have in our body outside of our tongue, in our kind of lips, and our fingers. A lot of our receptors are on our feet. So when you have these very soft, comfortable shoes on, that whole sensory system we have, those receptors in our, in our skin on our feet get desensitized. So we lose feel. So I think that anytime you get to go barefoot, great. Anytime you get to go barefoot on grass, on sand, on any different surface, brilliant. And it was one of my kind of, um, uh, it's not a fight with my wife, that's the wrong with to use, was to keep my daughter out of shoes for as long as we can. But then anybody put in kind of ballet type shoes now, where she could, the foot can still develop, the foot can still grow without the constraint of the shoes. So, I mean, shoes really aren't poor for most things.
1: You, I remember the last time we spoke about you getting your daughter in uh, ballet shoes rather than Nike Airs. Yeah, <laughs> fascinating.
0: Exactly. Yeah, yeah.
1: Do you think um, golf clubs are, are made similar, or they're doing the similar sort of thing with de-skilling golfers? Mark, I almost see it in putting that you know, everyone's trying to make the putters more forgiving, which they're doing a great job of, but I think they've done done such a great job that compare a, a spider or, or, you know, a, a face-balanced putter compared to the olden days where we, we used a blade putter. Sure, it's more forgiving, but the blade, if you hit out the toe, you certainly knew you'd hit it out the toe, and like yes, a spider yes. now, you, you hit it off-centre, and you don't really know.
0: Yeah. I think uh, you can kind of look at that two ways initially, and two very, very good ways that of- I think making equipment more um, usable certainly brings a lot more enjoyment to many people. An example being, my dad is 81. He's actually playing golf today, I hope, uh, back in England. Um, Would dad still be playing golf with the equipment you and I play within the late eighties? Maybe not. So you can kind of look at it both ways. So I think the enjoyment it brings to people. And I think also the aspiration it brings to people that um, I'm very much on um, this side of golf. I don't see why golf trying to constrain distance. I think one of the great aspirations we all have is how far can we hit it? So why would you take that away? Um, mm. I think it's like the 100-meter sprint when in athletics. The great aspiration is how fast can we go? F1, isn't it? It's, it's made the cars go as quick as we can. So I don't really get why golf wants to reduce length. I think it's only really short people, I think, to take that approach typically because <laughs> um, <laughs> they're trying to make it. I think the long guys don't see it that way. So for me, I don't really get that. So I think modern day equipment I think hugely gives people aspiration, it gives them lots of enjoyment, and it, I think it gets more people playing. And that's great for golf. But I think equally so the balance in this discussion then is you actually don't need to be good at golf anymore to play good golf. Because the equipment does it for you. You don't you don't need the ideas of being a good mover, you know, being a wonderful mover, wonderful, you know, great physiology, great anatomy is, is less of a demand now from a connection, not distance obviously, from a connection discussion because you know, the club does it for you these days. Um, so I think there's a real balance between um, skill acquisition, skill refinement. And even then, it's, it's it's just different now. It's changed. I mean, it's like comparing, say, Mo Fowler, Usain Bolt. Why? They're different, different athletes. I mean, one's an endurance runner, one's a sprinter. Um, apart from the fact they both run, that's the only comparable we can make. Um, hmm. I think comparing guys, even to say, maybe. My generation is a kid, Nick Faldo, who was my great hero. There's just no point now. It's not even – it's not even a – it's, it's an irrelevant discussion because the task demands are so different, the game was so different, the equipment was so different, and the requirements are so different. Why, why are we even bothering attempting to compare these two? Because it achieves what? It doesn't, nothing comes from it. Um, so I don't – for me, you can only really can compare against now and the contemporaries – that you compete with and the demands of the current game and the requirements of the current game. Um, So, yeah, I don't understand that, but, uh, but yeah, to go back to your question, I mean, equipment's been great for many things, many things, but less advantageous for some others. One being, do you need to move well these days? Well, you just move differently, but not, not if you reference it against maybe the, the guys in the 50s, 60s and 70s that were just beautiful movers, Trevino and those kind of guys, you know, just the most wonderful movers, wonderful movers. And there's another reason why those guys moved the way they did. You look at the older boys, they used to wear tweed suits. (laughs) So try (laughs) moving the way that, say, um, I don't know, I I can give you a player, any of the players in the top 10, would they move that way wearing a tweed jacket? No. So the constraints of the clothing they wore 100 years ago made them move that way. So, I mean, I don't get why. I simply do not understand why people like comparing. I think a lot of it is validation. They, they, they validate their approaches and they validate their egos and they validate their belief systems because they have something to kind of reference it against. Well, it's no point even going back to Fowler's generation because it's a whole it's completely different game.
1: Okay, Mark, let's go down the, uh, the putting route. It is a, a putting podcast at the end of the day. So we're going to uh, try and uh, fire some putting questions at you, if that's okay. Of course. Yeah. So um, can we just start off with, um, the concept, players' concept on putting, how important is it and why?
0: Yeah, I mean, massive point. I mean, <clears throat> there's many, many reasons why we move the way we move. One of them is our concepts or probably to be more precise, our perception of movement or our perception of task. So what we perceive the ball to do and what we perceive the club to do, will control how we move. And then equally so, our perceptions are controlled by our expectation. What are we expecting to happen? and our expectations are then influenced by, influenced by our intent. What are we trying to do? So when you look at those influences, what are we trying to do? What are we expecting to happen? What is our perception of what may happen? Will then code us to then um, create a set of requirements or demands in some ways for us to then anatomically and physiologically produce. So a lot of the issues that players have um, uh, when they putt, for sure, um, relate back to essentially just walk me through what you're trying to do. What, what's your understanding of the task? What's your perception of how the club moves and how the ball rolls? What are you expecting to do when it leaves the club face but to start that kind of thing? Um, so a lot of our movements then emerge and are, um, um, are then developed because of those errors. Now then the anatomical constraints we have will then control even more then um, how we do decide then to move so massively important. Now. So, I mean, probably the easiest way to, easiest way is probably the wrong with you. probably one of the, the, the most helpful ways of improving how uh, anyone putts is to, to really explore that, their, their concept of what they're trying to do, their perception of what they think they'd like to do, their expectation of what they think may happen. I think if you can improve those areas, then invariably you'll start to see it move very differently.
1: On the, on the sort of movement part, a popular concept, if you will, is that you should putt with your shoulders. Um, like a pure shoulder stroke or like a pendulum, um, can can you expand on on that if possible? And um, you know, it, it are, do top athletes move just with their shoulders? Um, and is it possible for to do that?
0: Uh, it's it's anatomically impossible. It's like I, I rarely um, and, and clearly define around anything, but I will be around this time. I mean. When, and this is the reality of anatomy. When your big toe moves, so do your eyebrows, and that's the truth. So, because of the, the, the they're called fascial connections, the kind of the the, the, the connected tissues that run our system. Um, any any segment you move, any joint you move, you just wiggle m- m- one of your fingers. The whole system has to move to allow that thing to move. It's like on my shirt. I could move my collar, and every atom, every fiber in my shirt will have to move and adapt to allow that collar to move. So. I mean, try moving your shoulders without moving your hands for me. Quite you can. Well, you can. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But then try moving your shoulders without moving your elbow. You can. Um, try moving your shoulders without moving your ribcage. You can. I mean, so it's, uh, it's one of those things that, which again, um, I kind of get what, that I, I get what whoever they are is in. It, who are they? But whoever they are, they, I yeah. get what. They, yeah, they're, they um, go watch Pulp Fiction. It's still one of the, the best scenes for that around the subject of <laughs> day And um, I get, <laughs> I get what they're trying to do. I get that. But it's just simply not possible anatomically for the shoulder joints to move, as you referred to them as. Every single segment in the human body has to adapt and respond to allow those joints to move that way. That's we are movement systems. We are not move the hands i mean try and move try and move the wrist joint without moving your hands you want to be more precise you can so why mm-hmm. then looking at wrist data independently for me is intellectual failure because unless you know what the hand does the elbow does the shoulder does the ribcage does the foot and ankle does the pelvis does how can you make a call on the wrist from independent data on a joint it's not even a segment the wrist so what mm-hmm. controls what the wrist does is the direction the hand moves in so where the hand wants to move the wrist will then adapt and respond to let the hand move in that way. So the hand is a much better segment than the joint, much better area to look at. The hand's a segment essentially made up of lots of different joints, obviously knuckles and those kind of things. Uh, the wrist is more of a joint. So for me, looking at wrist data independently is you know, intellectual failure for me. Unless you have all the other information, foot and ankle, spine, lower limb, ribcage, pelvis, neck. Then you can start to see why the wrist is moving that way well within that global movement system that we are.
1: Mark, I'm very conscious of your time. I know you've got to get on the lesson T, so uh, we will uh, we'll finish there. Um, I managed to get to um, to half of my questions, so maybe we will get a, <laughs> a a part two some stage when uh, when you have another uh, a bit of time. But no, really appreciate you coming on. Um, enjoy your first lesson. Hopefully, you remember what to do.
0: <laughs> have I? A- uh, My advice
1: that you need to the, the first question is, is, you've got to ask them is, um, How can I help you today?
0: I, absolutely right. Absolutely right. I can really help. <laughs> remember, <laughs> remember, whose session is it? There's all mine. And um, so it's very important that. And uh, I mean, uh, thank you, Ollie. I mean, I always love spending time with you and, and what have you. And uh, so, really good luck with the podcast. And uh, I'd love to do like a, if your listeners feel there's value in doing a, a level two and are not completely bored of me, then I'm sure we could go more into perhaps some of the the anatomy, the biomechanics or the physiology of putting and really explore that stuff in a lot more detail. And uh, so, you know, real pleasure to be invited, Olly. Thank you so much.